My friend, I'm Rick Renner, and I've been waiting for you. Today, we're going to have such a good time in the Word of God. We're discussing why Christians get sick. Christians should not get sick. I shouldn't get sick. You shouldn't get sick because healing is in the atonement. We saw that in Monday's program. If you didn't see that, please go to the archives and watch it or order the whole series. Jesus took sicknesses and infirmities in himself on the cross so we can be free of it. So why do Christians get sick? Well, that's what this series is about, and today's program is going to really be important. But the rest of the subtitle says, How to Become Healthy Again. God wants you to be healthy to the end of your life, and you can be. But this series comes with a study guide so that you can read it while you see it or while you hear it. The reason we provide the study guide is because I want this teaching to really get down deep inside of you. I always quote Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there's power, and I believe that. When you take the word of God into your life, it releases divine power in your life. Anyway, you can order this today by going online or by giving us a call. And right now we're offering you a book called Bodily Healing and the Atonement. I read this years ago, and it transformed my thinking about the work of the cross. Jesus really did pay the price for our sicknesses on the cross, and I understood it when I read this book. And we're also offering you Bob Yandian's book called The Grace of Healing. I laughed with joy as I read this book because I understood that all we have to do is reach out by faith and by grace take the healing which God offers to us. It's not hard. God has made it so easy for us to receive healing and to walk in divine health. And please remember that when you become a partner with our ministry, we send you two books as our way of saying welcome to our family. And we really mean you'll be family. You'll be one of our partners. And together, we as partners are going to do something to touch people all over the world, people that are crying out and are saying, God, please send me somebody that can bring me teaching that I can build my life on. That's what we are doing in obedience to the call of God on our life. And when you become a partner, you help us do it. We join hands together. We teach with your financial gifts. We're able to take this signal around the planet. And the moment you become a partner, and thank you for becoming a partner, we're going to send you my book, called Life in the Combat Zone, which is dedicated to partners, and Denise's book called The Gift of Forgiveness, because these books are always given to anybody who becomes a part of our partner family. And if you need prayer, reach out to us right now. I'm teaching on health and healing this week. Maybe you're struggling physically and you would like somebody to pray with you. Reach out to us. Call us right now or send us an email. The moment we hear from you, we'll release our faith and we'll believe for God to touch you physically and turn it all around. But I'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. Reach for your Bible, and I want you to open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. We always use the Bible in this program. And in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, Isaiah is looking into the future, and he's prophesying about the work of the cross. He says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But the very first of verse 4, he says, Surely... And in the Hebrew, it means indeed, verily, of a surety, categorically, emphatically, he hath borne our 
griefs. And the word griefs remarkably is the Hebrew word for sicknesses and diseases, and it can't be translated any other way. And then he adds, he has carried our sorrows. The word carried means to carry a very heavy load. So whatever these sorrows are, they were very heavy. Well, the word sorrows describes mental torment or even mental illness. Already we have found in verse 4, Jesus has carried our physical problems. He's carried our mental problems. Then when you get to verse 5, Isaiah adds, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Oh, praise God. The word wounded is the Hebrew word which means to pierce. It refers to the piercing of his hands, his feet, his side. The word transgressions refers to the sin issue in our life. Jesus paid the price for us to be delivered and freed and forgiven of sin. Then he was bruised for our iniquities. The word iniquities carries the idea of our rebellious nature, guilt, and even shame. Jesus came to set us free from shame. If you're dealing with any shame issues, Jesus wants you to be free of that. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The word peace is the word shalom. It describes wholeness in every area of our life, including health. And with his stripes, we are healed. And the word healed is the word rapha. It carries the idea of divine healing, being physically made whole. In these verses, we discover healing really is in the atonement. Jesus dealt with our spirit. Jesus dealt with our mind. And Jesus dealt with our body. It's a package deal in the work of the cross. Praise the name of Jesus. Wow. And this is a promise for you. If you're sick in your body and you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be sick. Just like you receive forgiveness of sins, Jesus also gave you freedom in your mind and he gave you healing in your body. So the question arises, why then are Christians sick? Well, Christians are usually sick because they have violated some law or principle. And today we're going to see Christians get sick when they don't deal with bitterness and unforgiveness. Bitterness and unforgiveness will make you sick. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, where the Apostle Paul is describing communion. And you have to understand what communion is. Communion is the affirmation of a covenant, a covenant with God, and a covenant with one another. How I wish I had understood that when I was growing up, but I really didn't understand. It was the affirmation of a covenant with God and with others. And when you partake of communion, you're affirming that you're in covenant with God and you're affirming that you are in covenant with other members of the church. And if you're affirming that you're in covenant, but in fact, you don't intend to keep a covenant with everybody else, then you should not take communion. And that's what he says in this verse. Wherefore, whosoever will eat of this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. What does that word unworthily mean? The Greek word means unfit, not equal to the task. It carries the idea of not matching the value of the act or the value of the task. You're feigning that you're in covenant with others when in fact in your heart you're really not. You're not fit for doing this. And if you do this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven 27 says you will be guilty of the body and the blood 
of the Lord. And here he is alluding to Judas Iscariot. And if you want more teaching on communion, you should order my entire series on our website called Insights on Communion. This really is a transformative series, which will give you brand new insights on communion and what communion means. But Judas Iscariot had already decided he was going to betray Jesus when he came to the Last Supper. And knowing that betrayal was in his heart and he had no intention of being faithful, he reached out and took of the bread and took of the cup, which symbolized covenant. He says, I'm reaffirming my covenant with everybody else here, when in fact he had already had betrayal in his heart. He was not fit to the task, and he was guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And of course, he betrayed Jesus. And the Apostle Paul here is using this illustration. And then he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Well, he was addressing the Corinthians, and the Corinthians were behaving very, very badly. They were not fit to partake of communion. Here they were, sitting around the table, eating of the bread, drinking of the cup, feigning that they were in covenant with each other, while after the meeting, they were taking each other to court. They were suing. They were fighting. They were squabbling with each other. It was a raging mess of carnality. And yet they were partaking of communion like everything was fine, and it was not fine. And according to Paul, he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself. The word damnation is a form of the Greek word krima, which means a judgment with adverse consequences, self-judgment. You have to understand that there are natural laws that cannot be broken, and there are spiritual laws that should not be broken. And if you break a spiritual law, if you break a spiritual law, which in this case is the breaking of a covenant, there are consequences which can be adverse. And that's what Paul now describes in these verses. In verse 29, he says, not discerning the Lord's body. And in this particular case, not discerning means one who does not rightly value the covenant or what he is doing. In verse 30, Paul says, for this cause... The Greek says, Diatato, for this very reason, many are weak and sickly among you. The word many, the Greek word poloi, which means great numbers. Great numbers of you are weak. And the word weak is the Greek word asthenes. And listen to what it means. It depicts a wide range of infirmities. It is an all-encompassing term that embraces all forms of sickness, disease, and weaknesses, or someone that is very fragile due to ill health. And this is amazing to me, because it was the church of Corinth that had all the gifts of the Spirit in operation, including healing and working of miracles. And even though healing and working of miracles was right in their church, Paul says a great number of them are weak with a wide range of infirmities. Why? Because they're violating their covenant with one another and they've got bitterness and unforgiveness and strife in their hearts and this results in sickness. In fact, he goes on in verse 30 and says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. The word sickly, the Greek word aristos, which means to be in bad health, to possess a weak and broken condition, a person so weak and sick that he's become critically ill. It depicts an invalid, a devastating illness, one that is broken, and it even can be translated as the word comatose. Wow. 
because of their attitude. They were harboring bitterness, unforgiveness, and Paul says this has adverse consequences. Then he adds in verse 30, and many sleep. The word many, the Greek word hikanas, which means a substantial number or a considerable number of you sleep. This word sleep here refers to death. There are people in this church that have even died because of bitterness and unforgiveness and bad attitudes. This is pretty serious. And that is why Paul then adds in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one: for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And the word judge here, the Greek word diakrino, means to come under scrutiny. It was the equivalent of saying, if we would be willing to take a scrutinizing look at our attitudes, our thoughts, our actions, and self-correct, then we wouldn't be coming under all these adverse conditions, which means we can do something about bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, somebody might say, but you just don't know how hurt I am. I've got a reason that I feel the way that I feel. Well, let's see what Jesus had to say in Luke 17, verse 1. Hmm. And in Luke 17, verse 1, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Which means, just come to grips with the reality that in life there is always an opportunity to be offended. There's always an opportunity for bitterness and unforgiveness. And the word that offense, offenses is used here is the Greek word scandalon. It describes something that is scandalous to you. It may not be scandalous to somebody else, but for you personally, it's very scandalous. It describes an event that causes you to trip to stumble or to lose your footing, to waver, to falter, or to fall down. And what we find is all offenses, listen careful, all offenses fall into two categories. People are offended just for two reasons. You can sum it up like this. People get offended because of what someone did. Or people get offended because of what somebody did not do. Those are the two reasons why people get offended. And when you're offended, you always want to take heed to the one that offended you. But in Luke 17, verse 3, Jesus said, take heed to yourself. Get a grip on yourself. Then he adds, if thy brother trespassed against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. But notice he uses the word if in Greek, it is the little word eon, which is the idea of a possibility which in all likelihood probably will happen. All of us have the possibility of being offended by what somebody did or didn't do. And Jesus said, if thy brother trespassed against thee. I think it's interesting that he uses the word brother because we don't usually become offended by strangers. We just let it go. But when it is somebody that is near to us, that's when we tend to get offended. And Jesus said, if thy brother trespass against thee. The word trespass, a form of the Greek word hamartia, which is the New Testament word for sin, but it really describes one that messes up. He violates you. He does something wrong. He just blows it. He messes up. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. The word rebuke, the Greek word epitome, which here means confront him, be honest about it. And if he repent, forgive him. What does that mean, forgive? Well, it is a form of the Greek word ephiemi, which means to permanently dismiss, to release it, to set it free, 
to let it go. In fact, that really is the best translation. If he repents, let it go. It means to discharge, to send it away, to liberate completely, to forfeit one's right to ever bring it up again. Ay, 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 to irretrievably remove. That's what Jesus says. Let it go and let it go forever if he repents, if he says that he's sorry. Then in Luke 17, verse 4, Jesus says, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turns to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. The word forgive, again, a form of the Greek word, aphiemi, thou shalt let it go. Just say, let it go. That's what you need to say when you're tempted to be offended. I'm just going to let it go. That is what the word forgive means. And isn't it interesting that Jesus said, if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt let it go. There's some people that just tend to be kind of offensive. They don't want to be. And they keep asking for forgiveness again and again and again. It seems like they just keep repeating the same thing again and again and again. And Jesus said, in that case, just keep letting it go. If they're sincere, don't hold them to it permanently. Release it. Let it go. And in verse 5, the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Verse 6, and the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But here in this verse, he likens bitterness and unforgiveness to the sycamine tree. That is an example of bitterness and unforgiveness. And Jesus uses this example for four reasons. Number one, fact number one. In Egypt and in the Middle East, the sycamine tree was the preferred wood for building caskets. It is casket material. It was durable, and this was the material they used primarily for building caskets. That is amazing. Number two, the sycamine tree has a very large and deep root structure. In fact, it has the deepest root structure of all trees in the Middle East. The root structure of the sycamine tree is so, so deep that it's hard to kill a sycamine tree. Even cutting it down to a stump will not kill it. You've got to pull it up by the roots, and the roots are very, very deep. And likewise, just like bitterness and unforgiveness are casket material that will bury you, bitterness and unforgiveness have very, very deep roots. You can't deal with it just in a shallow way. You've got to go for the roots to get rid of bitterness and unforgiveness. Number three, the sycamine tree produced fruit that was very bitter to eat. It's interesting that the sycamine tree and the fig tree produced a fruit that looked almost identical. Wealthy people ate the fruit of the fig tree, which was wonderful and luscious and sweet to eat. But poor people could not afford that, so they ate the fruit of the sycamine tree, which was bitter and tart. In fact, it was so bitter, you couldn't eat the whole sycamine fruit in one sitting. You had to eat a little and chew on it for a little while, wait, come back and chew on it again and chew on it again and chew on it again. And here we find bitterness and unforgiveness is like the fruit of the sycamine tree. You eat a little, walk away, come back, think about it again, meditate on it again, chew a little more, chew on a little more, chew on a little more, chew on a little more as you meditate on all the offenses that were committed against you. And just like poor people 
hate the fruit of the sycamine tree. If you eat the fruit of bitterness and unforgiveness, it will cause poverty to come into nearly every area of your life. Wow, this is powerful about the sycamine tree. Number four, this is amazing. The sycamine tree was pollinated by the sting of a wasp. It was pollinated by the sting of a wasp. When the wasp put its stinger into the fruit, that is what pollinated the sycamine tree. Let me ask you, how many times have you heard somebody say, you know what, I'm bitter and I'm filled with unforgiveness because that person really stung me. The wasp got to that person. And if you allow the enemy to put his stinger into your heart, bitterness and unforgiveness will be pollinated in your life. Now you know why Jesus used the sycamine tree as an example of bitterness and unforgiveness. But in Luke 17, 6, Jesus said, You can say to the sycamine tree, Be thou plant, plucked up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. Notice Jesus didn't say, think about it. He said, say to it. You've got to speak to bitterness. You've got to speak to unforgiveness. Your voice is your authority, and it will obey you. And Jesus says, you've got to say to it, be plucked up by the root. The Greek word here means to rip up by the roots. Don't just cut it off at the stump. You've got to be committed that you're going to remove this bitterness and unforgiveness from your life completely and command it to be planted in the sea wait a minute, the sea is salt water. If you plant a tree in the salt water, you're going to kill it. So Jesus is saying, don't go for a temporary solution. Kill this thing in your life. Command it to be planted in the sea. And Jesus says, it will obey you. The word obey, the Greek word hupakuo. The word hupo means under. The word akuo means I hear. When you put the two words together, it means it will be subservient to your command. When bitterness and unforgiveness hear your voice of authority and you tell it to shut up and be planted into the sea, it will obey you. But you have to do more than think about it. You've got to speak to it and take command of it. Now, Christians get sick for various reasons. We shouldn't get sick because healing is in the atonement. But today we've seen from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that if you have bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart toward other believers, you can be weak, you can be sickly. Some people can even die from bitterness and unforgiveness. We've now seen from Luke chapter 17 that if you eat the fruit of this sycamine tree, bitterness and unforgiveness, it will make you poor in your relationships, poor in your mind, poor in your finances, poor in your health. And this is one reason why Christians get sick. But if you'll speak, to bitterness and unforgiveness and command it to be planted into the sea, it will obey you and health will begin to flow back into your life again. I'll be back in just a moment and I want to pray for you. Why do Christians get sick since Jesus purchased their healing on the cross? Rick Renner says, years ago, there was a period of time when I was sick over and over again. And I asked God, why am I getting sick when Jesus purchased my healing on the cross? The answer I heard from God changed my life and helped me get healthy again. In this five-part series, Why Christians Get Sick and How They Can Become Healthy Again, Rick shares the insights he learned from the Lord. 
that helped him begin to walk in health. These powerful insights changed his life, and they will change yours too. In this series, Rick shows you the dangers of not recognizing healing is in the atonement, not taking time to rest, not dealing with bitterness and unforgiveness, not putting an end to worry, not taking good care of one's temple. By listening to this series and applying its truths, you can activate God's healing power in your life. And the series is available in digital or physical formats starting at just $10. In addition to this teaching series, you can also get the books Bodily Healing and The Atonement by Dr. T.J. McCrossan for $10 and The Grace of Healing by Bob Yandian for $13. Rick says these two books are so powerful. If anyone wants to receive healing, they need to read these two books. Don't miss this special offer, the five-part series, Why Christians Get Sick and How They Can Become Healthy Again, and the books Bodily Healing and the Atonement, and the Grace of Healing. Call the number on your screen now or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Hey friends and partners, this is Rick Renner. You can probably see my breath because it's minus nine here right now, but I'm standing in the new building for our Moscow TV studio. And I wanna say thank you to you for all of your sacrificial giving, for being a part of our giving team. Phase one enabled us to construct this building and it is completely paid for. The building itself, the windows, the doors, all the way to the roof, even the heating system. And in phase one, we were enabled to purchase our building in Tulsa and now we have secured it. But now in phase two, we need to finish the interior of this building. We can't move into it the way that it is today. But my friends, in a very short time, we're going to have cameras working in this building and from this location, we're going to be sending teaching that people can trust to the ends of the planet. And the focus of phase two is finishing this facility. And as I told you before, it's not about buildings. It's about having a building so that we can create programming that will change people's lives. And I'm asking you to please pray about being a part of the giving team to finish phase two, which is completing the interior of this building. And I promise you, we will be so careful with every penny and every dollar you give. We understand the value of money. And we're going to pray for God to magnificently and massively multiply your giving back to you again. Thank you so much. Please become a part of our giving team to finish phase two as we complete the interior of the Moscow TV studio. Today I've been teaching from my brand new series called Why Christians Get Sick. It's five parts. It comes in multiple formats. The subtitle says, How to Become Healthy Again. It is not God's will for you to be sick. Healing is included in the atonement. But there are reasons why Christians get sick. Today we've seen that if you have bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, it can result in sickness in your life. And that is not the will of God for you. And you can be set free of bitterness and unforgiveness and health can flow back into your life again. But you need to order this series and hear it and hear it. And it comes with a study guide. And right now we're also offering you two books that are just wonderful. One is called 
Bodily Healing and the Atonement, a book that I read years ago that made such a difference in my life, and I know it will make a difference in your life as well. And we're offering you Bob Yandian's book called The Grace of Healing, Revealing God's Heart to Heal. God wants His people to be happy, and God wants His people to be healthy, and that is why Jesus included healing in the atonement. But I want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for our sin, for our peace, for our physical wellness. Lord, I thank you for all of that. And Lord, today we release bitterness and unforgiveness in the name of Jesus so divine health can begin to operate in us again. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'll be back tomorrow. We're going to continue. But remember, Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power. <laughs>